The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America, welcome to the 10th ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We will go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And as always, it was another wild week in sports. And as usual, I would begin each show with the past week's highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that fascinate us all. And today's highlight is easy. As I stand here broadcasting in the undisputed sports capital of the universe, you can call it title town, city of champions, but of course I mean Boston, where there is absolute euphoria 36 hours later after the Bruins won their first Stanley Cup in 39 years with a Game 7 victory on uh, Wednesday night over the Vancouver Canucks. And this makes Boston the first North American city to have four championships in all four sports in a seven-year period. That it also means there have been seven championships in the past decade. And it is just uh, as euphoric as I've seen this city since the Red Sox won in 04. And the World Series win then over the Cardinals was, of course, preceded by the four-game comeback to beat the Yankees in the ALCS. First time that had ever been done in baseball. But on to hockey. Uh, the town has just been absolutely electric since the moment it happened. And uh, as, as we all in the media know, the hockey players are just considered the most regular of all athletes. They have, uh, you know, they mingle well with everybody. They treat the media wonderfully, and they're just down-to-earth and regular guys. And never has that been more in evidence than uh, the past 24 hours when uh, they landed yesterday morning and basically went and got their playoff beards shaved. So uh, barbershops were a pretty popular spot around Boston yesterday. And then more importantly, as the afternoon went on and into the evening, all of a sudden, all the Bruins just started uh, 
walking all over town with the Stanley Cup, Andrew Ferentz, who had a great series, was carting the Stanley Cup around the North End section of Boston near the TD Garden uh, in a baby carriage. And then they basically, most of the team assembled in an outside bar well known right near Faneuil Hall and they brought the Stanley Cup with them, plopped it on a table, all sat around having a few beers and this is a very popular area, very crowded, a lot of pedestrian traffic and needless to say a gigantic crowd formed and they just sat there for what appeared to be an hour or two just hanging out and there was, you know, no restrictions. People were coming in, seeing the cup, taking pictures with the cup, uh, mingling with the Bruins who were having a few adult beverages, and it was just one big party. And then today again, uh, this morning, they've just been walking around Boston, uh, you know, with the cup. Uh, various groups of players are very approachable, stopping, talking with people, taking pictures with or without the cup. And it is just really. Uh, something to behold and it's just so fitting because Boston at its core really is a hockey city and it's uh, pent up frustration shall we say from 39 years the Bruins uh, they got it done this week but obviously uh, there's a lot of frustration especially in the immediate three years leading up to the cop uh, where they lost three game sevens in uh, many an excruciating fashion, none more so than when the Philadelphia Flyers came back from a 3-0 deficit in both games and in the seventh game here in the Garden to uh, become only the uh, among a handful of teams to come back from a 3-0 deficit. So uh, it has just been really, really a special start to this. Uh, to prove my point about the city of Boston being a hockey town, I need only discuss the TV ratings here in Boston, which were like a 40 share and 64% of the TV sets that were on in Boston were tuned into the game on Wednesday night game seven in Vancouver, which is an absolutely astronomical number. And more importantly, it beat handily the ratings for Game 7 Celtics-Lakers last year. Uh, the one caveat you might throw in there is that the Celtics had won it in 08, so it was not exactly a 39-year uh, wait, but in the same light, it was uh, you, you know still Celtics-Lakers and still NBA, which... Uh, which you know is traditionally considered more popular, but here in Boston, the Bruins uh, game seven pounded the Celtics Lakers game seven, and just as importantly, the Bruins Canucks series over seven games, two of which were on versus versus, uh, versus NBC, uh, also outdid the Celtics Lakers over the course of a seven game series. So. Pretty impressive numbers. I wouldn't call it shocking, but I would call it surprising. Uh, you know, the Celtics are pretty big here in Boston, as you can well imagine, uh, with 17 titles. And uh, But again, ever since the early 70s, Bobby Orr and the gang got it done with two Stanley Cups in three years. Um, 
it just completely turned this town into a hockey town, uh, which it probably had always been, but that took it to the next level. And there's no doubt whatsoever in my mind that uh, this Stanley Cup is going to take hockey again to yet another new level here in Boston and uh, and New England overall. It, uh, uh, you know, and what that means, what that translates into is new hockey rinks, youth hockey, which is gigantic here in New England, becoming even bigger if that's possible. So it's going to be, you know, quite a ride and something to remember uh, for everybody. Um, Tomorrow there's a parade in Boston. Uh, The tradition up here is the players and front office will parade through the city on duck boats. Uh, We're getting pretty good at it with seven seven parades in ten years. Uh, I'm expecting well over a million people to show up and uh, it's going to be quite the celebration. The Red Sox have moved their one o'clock game back to seven o'clock and then they are honoring the Bruins at their game on Sunday. So rest assured the cup will be there. And, you know, it's just been uh, an incredible ride. I had the good fortune to be at the kickoff of these, of this championship run when I was in New Orleans, when Adam Benatieri beat the Rams in Super Bowl 36 with a field goal on the last play of the game. And that was incredible in that it was just so sudden. It was just all of a sudden in one play, you look, they had become champions and it just felt unbelievable. Uh, the Red Sox, I look back on that title and although I didn't get to any World Series games, I was at game five of the ALCS, the 14 inning uh, game that ended with David Ortiz singling Johnny Damon home, and quite simply, it was the most incredible sports event I've ever been to in my life, and I've been to some good ones. But from Ortiz's homer in the eighth to the game ending in the 14th, say 200 pitches, you had to literally exhale after every pitch that evening at Fenway Park, and at the time, it was the longest game in the history of baseball. So I'll never forget that either. Uh, the Celtics... Great memory from that. Uh, I was in the second base best place on the planet for that championship when they beat the Lakers, um, meaning I was down. Uh, I was at NFL broadcast boot camp and at NFL Films in New Jersey. So that evening, met a friend in Philadelphia, and we went to Citizens Bank Ballpark where the Phillies were playing the Red Sox. So we went into a, a, a restaurant inside the stadium, and as the Red Sox-Phillies game ended, many hundreds, if not well over a thousand Boston fans poured into this bar. And it was just like being across the street from the Boston Garden. Um, the place went absolutely wild all night long. And so, great memories. Uh, the other night, I... Went to a local sports bar, and it was absolutely spilling out onto the streets right in suburban Boston, not Boston itself, near my home. And uh, it was just, again, electric when the Bruins scored that first goal in Game 7. The place went absolutely wild. So it was uh, great memories from this run. And for me, uh, it's my second time around, and I say that because I grew up near Pittsburgh, and... When uh, 
and actually covered the Steelers and the Pirates in 1979 when they both won the uh, Super Bowl and the World Series. That was the We Are Family Pirate team and the uh, Steel Curtain Steelers, of course. So, and that's when I first heard the City of Champions coined, and uh, here I am now again in my second City of Champions. And sticking with hockey, I want to touch on this week's low light, which was, uh, you know, the bizarre rioting in Vancouver, and the police apparently are blaming uh, it on anarchists. Haven't heard that word in a while. And uh, so, just incredible scenes from that city. and can't even believe uh, the destruction that they caused. Uh, they're cleaning up today, and it is just absolutely off the charts uh, what's going on out there. So um, Boston, in contrast, celebrated very peacefully. I think there were like six arrests, all minor, and no destruction, no nothing, no burnt cars, nothing. So I'd say Boston stands pretty proud today, and I'm proud to be in Boston. And lastly... Uh, My bizarre sports story of the week, taking a departure from hockey, is uh, Lenny Dykstra in jail. He pleaded uh, not guilty to drugs and theft charges. The former Philly is uh, in serious hot water for a lot of financial misdeeds, plus the drugs, and uh, sad to see and anxious to see how that all plays out. Looks like he's tapped all of his friends because nobody's bailing him out. And now, as my former co-host, Lee Mont Williams from Outside the Huddle, likes to say, it's time to pay some bills. So let's take our break. And joining us in the next segment will be our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post Sports Department. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific time 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. 
And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we have guests join us, and today I'd like to welcome back our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post Sports Department. Barry, how are you? Good afternoon, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, as I just described in the first segment, uh, standing here in the City of Champions, as usual, broadcasting and uh, reveling in the absolute euphoria of Boston. Well, there's a lot of this, and there's a lot of that to go around. And congratulations to the Bruins on a, on a, on a terrific season, and a terrific playoff run, a terrific finals, and uh, Tim Thomas winning the Conn Smythe Trophy, very well deserved, and. They, uh, you know, they, they were great, and it was just, and, and you know, boy, what, what a what a weird series this was. What a strange turn of events from game to game. You know, a, lot, a lot of drama, a lot of you know, extracurriculars, uh, great plays uh, on the ice. It was just uh, a, one of the most, one more intriguing finals, I think, in uh, in recent years. You know, obviously, you had the, uh, you know, the factor of you know the game, the, the first three games in Vancouver, all very tight, very low scoring, uh, all Vancouver victories. And the three games in Boston, all you know, decisive victories for the Bruins. Um, you had you know, Luongo uh, later in the series. You know, the Canucks kind of questioning whether he'd be able to to stick with it, which you know, to me was kind of like the death knell for them. Uh, and then going back home, you know, uh, past performance charts would have said, okay, uh, Canucks, you know, were, were, would be favored to win a very tight, checking, low-scoring game, but that turned out not to be the case. And uh, you know, Bruins certainly outplaying the Canucks in Game Seven and uh, and getting the job done. So uh, kudos to them, great job. And uh, you know, uh, you know, I one thing I did want to touch on was you, know, you talk about uh, you know at the very end of your last segment, talk about you know the rioting in Vancouver, which is you know obviously very unfortunate. Uh, you know, celebration in in Boston. You know, very very uh, very great great job by the people in Boston. I think it's sad that you actually have to commend people for having a good celebration today. You know, I don't know where this whole thing started about people, you know, riding after their teams win championships, but uh, or in this case, losing a championship. I don't really know. I don't really, you know, get the whole uh, dynamics there. But uh, obviously, a travesty. What's going on in Vancouver, um, and uh, people in Boston behaving as they should. You know. Someone once said a long time ago, you know, act like you've been there before. And I think, uh, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the fact that the uh, that Boston has been so successful successful in the past several years, you know, maybe, uh, you know, people, I, I would like to think that, uh, you know, people in the town of Boston know how to celebrate, know how to deal with success, and uh, they've shown that. So congratulations to, to the city, and congratulations to everybody involved. Great run. Well, I think we finally got it right up here, and uh, unfortunately, Vancouver uh, has certainly gotten it all wrong. And Barry, we're reunited again today with uh, our hockey expert, Paul Stewart, former NHL player and referee, and currently director of officiating for ECAC Hockey. And Paul, how are you doing today? Well, I'm in Providence overseeing the installation of Replay. Uh, go to replay.net at Brown University at the Meehan Auditorium, a great rink, and uh, watching the electricians put the uh, cable in and uh, and the cameras and getting, I, it's hard to believe in June, we're getting ready to think about hockey for October. 
I know. It's just incredible how close the uh, next season is already. Well, that's what happens when you go to uh, June 15th with your final game. And, uh, Paul, the Stanley Cup finals were indeed memorable with the biting non-call in game one setting the tone for a nasty series full of finger-pointing. And that led to, to the, you know, the Nathan Horton hit, a broken back for one of the Canucks, uh, Brad Marchand using the face of a Sedin sister like a speed bag, just to name a few. As a former NHL referee and player, what did you think of the final series? They certainly have enough press coverage, and uh, it makes it so that nothing goes unnoticed. I think that uh, the anomaly may have been the biting. It's not something that I recall necessarily in, in games that I officiated or played in during my career uh, of 28 years. I don't really recall that type of thing, but with regard to the punching in the face and uh, players getting injuries, thinking back to Bobby Bond playing for Toronto Maple Leafs, he, he scored a goal in a Stanley Cup winning game on a broken ankle. So that aspect of the hit where the player from Vancouver got hurt, I, I, I attributed that to an awkward play. His foot caught in soft June ice in a rut, and it wasn't malicious. With regard to uh, the Sedin twins, uh, you know, the, the fact remains that you can't put three ounces in a two-ounce glass, and not necessarily are they guys that could handle the traffic uh, and everyone attributes that to their Swedish background, but I don't necessarily think that that's that at all. It's just that they're used to playing a particular style in Boston, well-prepared in the fact that they took away the cycling down low, they couldn't operate below the below the circles in the crease area uh, without running into Chara, and uh, I think Boston's defense shut them down. But all things aside, going back to one aspect, and it's something that I've professed, uh, watching Lou Lamorello coaching at Providence and, and thinking about his success in, in New Jersey all those years, he and David Conti have always said, you built from the net out, and it was Tim Thomas's time. And I think that that's the real story of this playoff, and it was a situation where the force of will of this particular guy manifested a victory that, necessarily in other games and in other times would have been uh, shellacking. Uh, in Game 7, Vancouver in the first 10 minutes should have popped four goals by Thomas, and he came up with stops that were uh, short of any other word but miraculous. I agree. It was Tim Thomas's time. He was just absolutely spectacular. And before uh, we turn it over to Barry for a question, I, I have to ask you that Brad Marchand punching Daniel Sedin. I don't ever remember seeing anything quite like that in sports ever. What were your thoughts on that specifically? If he'd have done it to my teammate, he would have been looking at the lights. From the, from the, <laughs> yeah, well, that was the second part of it that nobody came it. to his aid. And uh, I can tell you that's the aspect I think that uh, Gillis, when he looks at his team in Vancouver next year, better think about you know, it's it's the old Teddy Roosevelt theory, which is you walk softly, but you carry a big stick. And it's nice to have a guy like uh, Semenko or McSorley or John Ferguson or or, or Terry O'Reilly or someone like that 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 doesn't let you uh, walk on the on the on the lawn. And I think that you know we go back to the movie Rudy. You know, not in my house. And uh, I just don't think that 
sitting there as a player, that was equivalent to Wentzink challenging the Minnesota North Stars in the Boston Garden. And I think that that's something that you just you can't accept as a player, and someone should have straightened that guy right out. And I, I tell you, if I was playing, I would have gone after him. I would have taken him on. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And whether he got a penalty or not, I would never question the referee's judgment. But I, I think that, you know, it certainly was deserving of something. And in, in the fact that I wasn't on the ice, you know, I defer to the guys that were on the ice. Well, I agree, yes. And, I mean, the game was already lost. There was nothing to lose. I mean, if Sedin himself or even if a teammate would have come to his aid, uh, you know, so what? They get a two-minute penalty with, along with Marchand, and, and that's that. I don't think it would have led to a seventh-game suspension. Frank Barry uh, once said to me, he was a Hall of Fame referee, he said, if they did that to you, what would you do? I said, I'd be pissed. I'd punch the guy. He said, well, then that's telling. He said, what would you do if they did it to your teammate? I said, I'd croak the guy. He said, well, then that's a telling. So that's your theory and that's your recipe for officiating. If, if it bothers you and you do something about it, it's a penalty. And in the situation as a player, looking at that, you know what? If a guy did that to one of my teammates, I would cuff him with an elbow right in the, mat, uh, right in the mouth not, and think nothing of it and think nothing of it. Send him a nice get-well card. Have a nice day. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I agree. I talk to uh, Barry about one thing. Uh, you know, I was listening in on your reflections on the, on the Vancouver uh, people, the people in Vancouver, you know, this is a minority. I mean, Vancouver, of all the NHL cities, and especially the Canadian cities, uh, next to Halifax, Nova Scotia, are, are, are two cities in Canada that I would move to in a heartbeat. Uh, they're, they're fantastic uh, people. They're very, they're very educated, very uh, progressive. Uh, the scenery, of course, the, the ocean, uh, the mountains, uh, the, the, you go in from the airport to the city, and it's it's green grass in February. It's it's an outstanding place, and I, I spent an awful lot of time in Vancouver. And I, I I I'm not trying to take the people off the hook, but Menino did what he thought he had to do, and that's the power that we inv- invested into him. Which is uh, I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to do what I think is right for the city. So he just basically said, "There's going to be no Boston massacre." This, this, this year or on my watch. He did that. But think about it. You go to Ecuador or Brazil or Spain or England and they have a soccer match. Every game there's a, 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 a you know, a, a dung fest. And I think basically what it comes down to is that you, you look at this and you look at, uh, the minority of people. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that you know, that uh, we're going to get the whole story after the retribution and the, and the punishment is meted out. And I, I'd, I'd really like to know that when the cops grab these guys and they arrest them, what the city and the judges are going to do to them up there. Good point. Good point. And, Barry, what do you think about uh, all of this? I mean, you already touched on Vancouver, and I, I'm sure you have other questions for Paul, so fire away. Yeah, I mean, um, good to talk to you, Paul, again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said about Vancouver. I mean, it is a, it is a gorgeous city, and, and it does have a great reputation. And of course, you know, you know, it, it, it's the old story of you know just a few people ruining ruining it for everybody, and it, it's unfortunate. But I, I think that's something that that uh, you know that we've seen in sports, you know, in, in all sports, and not just hockey, but in all sports, uh, you know, the whole dynamic of people, you know. I, I guess it just gives, you know, 
hooligans or whatever you want to call them, you know, yeah, drunk anarchists, however you want to say it. It just gives them an excuse to go out and do something stupid. And, it's, you know, it's unfortunate another, for those another of example us of that. that sure. it's, it's, it's unfortunate that for those of us who make our living in sports or who have been participating and active in sports, that sports become the, the, the cause of this type of, of, of behavior. But I think that necessarily when you think back, and I, I lived in the 60s with, with the, the uh, takeovers, the uh, sit-ins, the uh, pouring paint on, on the draft files. and I mean, I've seen this type of erosion of, of cultural behavior, and I think it's more a reflection upon our society, not necessarily. It's just the catalyst. People are so passionate about their sport. But I think, you know, when we think about the elections and uh, the whole thing that uh, can happen at the, at the drop of a hat, uh, you know, certainly losing the Stanley Cup uh, in the in the cold light of day, people like ourselves are going to sit there and just shake our heads and say, you know, that's so stupid. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I gentlemen, mean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. You know, yeah, that that that's obvious. And you know, I just think it's sad that we have to actually commend uh, you know a city like like Boston for. Uh, celebrating the right way, you know, very, you know, just just a, a couple of minor arrests, you know, no damage, no, uh, you know, no craziness, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the, I guess the point I was trying to make is that it's just sad that we even have to say that, that, you know, when a, when a, a, a city wins a championship in a sport, you know, it, it should be, it should be a, a happy occasion. You shouldn't even have to be talking about arrests or people getting drunk or disorderly or anything like that. So, Somewhere along the way, I think my mother said to me, after mid at midnight with beer involved, nothing good can come from this. And right. I think that Menino made the smart play. And they can say what they want, and they castigate him, and they ridicule him. But you know what? He's, he runs a pretty good city. So, uh, I agree. And I'm, I'm not blowing smoke at the guy. Uh, but I... I I, I, I think hopefully, you know, going back to the Montreal riots in 56 with Rock and Richard, I mean, this isn't an anomaly. This is something that's happened a long, long time over the course of our, our, our entire generation and our entire world. So, you know, let's, let's move on from here. Enjoy the duck boat parade and, uh, and hopefully in, in, in input into our children uh, a better way to have some fun. All right. Well, gentlemen... Great observations by both of you, and it's that time when we're going to take a break, and we'll resume our conversation after the break. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Super Bowl champ Lionel Dalton is taking to the internet airwaves with his own brand of sports talk. You'll go inside the mind of the players and find out if blacklisting really happens, what their thoughts are on training camps, where the former NFL players are now, and why being drafted by the wrong NFL team can kill a promising player's career. Lionel will also cover what's up with the Baltimore Ravens. Tune in to Sports Talk with Lionel Dalton live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
Do you think that all of the generic financial information you get every day is hard to navigate? You need to tune in to Duffy's Financial Playbook. Every weekend, Andreas Duffy will help you filter out this information and turn it into wisdom that you can really use. Be informed about the financial decisions you're about to make instead of just blindly making decisions. Andre's connections in the business and professional sports world will help you so you don't need to worry about your financial success. Tune in to Duffy's Financial Playbook, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, Voice America, and to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is one 888 Three four six nine one four four, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And I'm here with uh, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post Sports Department, as well as our hockey expert, Paul Stewart, former NHL player and referee and currently director of officiating for ECAC Hockey. And Paul, you've been a wealth of information three weeks in a row for all of our listeners interested in hockey, which I think is everybody these days, and fortunately for all of us, you're writing a book. Why don't you tell us all about it? Well, I've been fortunate over the course of my lifetime to have some diverse experiences, including my educational background. A lot of people who viewed me as a player or even saw you know, the rough, rough days of, of on-ice officiating uh, don't equate me with with much of an education nor much of a background, but I went to uh, Groton School, which is one of the leading schools in the country. My roommate, uh, actually classmate and, and friend James Cooper, is a Rhodes Scholar. I tell people that he, he cheated off of my paper, and uh, <laughs> he's a congressman from uh, Tennessee and uh, one of the best uh, and, and most bright guys that I've ever met. And uh, then from there, I went to the University of Pennsylvania and had a chance to get an Ivy League degree and uh, went on to fulfill my boyhood dreams of playing eight years in professional hockey at all different levels, including uh, a stint in the league that, that they filmed Slapshot, which I had a little cameo in. Um, subsequently after that, I went on and refereed for 20 years from 83 to 2003 and fortunate to have been chosen to officiate in the National Hockey League for 17 years, and I'm the first American-born referee to uh, referee a 1,000 games. And uh, I worked two Canada Cup finals. I worked 49 games in the Stanley Cup playoffs over my career. I wished I had done more, but uh, the powers-to-be did not choose me. And subsequently, uh, I was involved with the league in Hockey Fights Cancer and then working with the Bruins, running their charitable foundation, and the last few years, I've been fortunate. Uh, Commissioner Hagwell and the ECAC uh, schools chose me to head up the officiating as the director. And I did the men's side for four years. And last year, I had the opportunity to include uh, my, in my responsibilities both uh, the men and the women's side of the officiating, so doubled my staff. And uh, as well, I, I 
work with uh, the private schools, the ISL, uh, the Noble and Green Old Milton Academies uh, to assign all their officials, and, and I'm the commissioner of that league with, with Scott Whittemore, uh, co-commissioners. And uh, in the summer, I, I assign uh, about 800 games in junior hockey, what they call the New England Pro-Am, which is teams from all over the world come here to Massachusetts, and they play uh, a high level of hockey, hoping to be scouted and, and, and spotted by you know, collegiate and, and professional scouts. And during this time, of course, my uh, experiences in rubbing elbows, uh, sometimes getting an elbow from the odd player, uh, including a Gordie Howe, would, uh, would have made some interesting stories. And now I'm collectively putting them together in, in a book called You Wanna Go, which for those of you that may have seen Youngbloods, the hockey movie, uh, it's the invite on the ice to fight, but it's also the invite that my dad used to say to me, uh, I'm going to referee tonight at Dartmouth, or I'm going to umpire baseball today at Harvard, or I'm going down to, uh, to Yale to officiate a football game. Do you want to come? Do you want to go? And I think that that's really uh, the invite that that I want to get across to people. Take a walk through my life with me as I go through all of these experiences, including including that year that I, I faced uh, terminal cancer. Well, it sounds great. Uh, we're gonna that'll be a must read, and I'm sure our listeners will uh, love to to get to that. And Barry, I know you also have a question for uh, for Paul. So fire away. Yeah, you know. Uh, Obviously, Paul. You know most of the listeners. You know know you from your from your days uh, in the NHL. Uh, and I was just you know wondering if you could just talk a little bit about your role uh, with the ECAC number one uh, and you know, what that entails on a day to day. And also, yeah, I was thinking about this as you were just you know recounting some of your experiences. What are the main differences for officials? Uh, the men's hockey versus uh, versus the women's game, which has uh, risen. A lot in recent years. Are there officiating differences? Are the rules different? Uh, is the approach any different? I was kind of curious about that. Well, the uh, the women's side of the game, I actually am not the only person to say this, uh, that the women play the game technically better than the men. The men rely upon a lot of power and speed. Uh, the women naturally are not as physically powerful and not necessarily as speedy, as quick. Uh, the muscular structure makes it a different game. There is no body checking in women's hockey, although there is, you know, some bumping and angling and and stripping of the puck. But the the, the game has a lot of merit. It has a lot of skill to it. And as we've seen since 1998 in the United States and across Canada, uh, the women have certainly progressed in USA hockey the game has grown on the women's side 9000% and that's a verifiable fact in the last 10 years which is why so many rinks are being built and why so many collegiate uh programs are growing and giving scholarships to young ladies and my problem is trying to find young ladies who want to come after playing to the officiating side and uh, that's one of my responsibilities with ECAC is, is recruiting and developing new officials, 
monitoring the ones that we have for conditioning and skating and injuries, making sure their knowledge of the rules, interacting with the athletic directors, uh, interfacing with the commissioner, and, and certainly dealing day in and day out with all of the coaches. As well, I, I've been fortunate. I'm, I'm on the Walter Brown Committee, the selection committee for the Walter Brown Award from the Gridiron Club of Boston, and I've been also honored to be uh, a part of the, the Hobie Baker Committee, which chooses that particular award for college hockey. And I, I help out a little bit with the NCAA and some rules. And I, I stay busy because my heart is in the game. And as I said to many, it's not that I didn't have any place else to go. It's I never found any place I'd rather be. The colleges certainly that are in the ECAC, including Harvard and Yale and Cornell and Princeton and Clarkson and St. Lawrence and Colgate and Dartmouth, uh, Brown, uh, Quinnipiac, they've got great tradition. Quinnipiac is a new a new arrival on, on the collegiate hockey front, but easily has in, in collegiate hockey next to North Dakota probably the finest facility. Their athletic director, their two coaches, uh, Rand Pecknall and Rick Seeley, uh, Rick on the women's side and Rand on the men's side, have really done a fantastic job. The hockey program has helped put Quinnipiac on the map. It's, it's 10 miles north of New Haven. It's, it's a beautiful venue for anybody that has not been there. And all of these aspects of, of collegiate hockey have a great impact on not only the social life in the, in the school and on the campus, but as well as far as attracting new and better students to the school and, and, and certainly, most importantly, as well, uh, alumni and their contributions to support these programs. No kid ever gets in hot water when they're on ice. And collegiate hockey, not only is it uh, a great tradition, but it's also something that, at least since 1980, since the U.S. Olympic victory, has been a place where many professional players have come. And, and I think it's, it's something that I'm fortunate to be involved with. And uh, I think that uh, being with the ECAC, having played in this league, uh, I, I'm not giving back as much as coming back. Well said. Very well said, Paul. And uh, I'm sure it's uh, ECAC hockey is a fabulous brand of hockey, to put it mildly. And, uh, well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on and really add tremendous perspective to, uh, to our hockey coverage over the last few weeks. Uh, what a run by the Bruins, uh, the run of a lifetime, really, for, for many of us. And, uh, and, you know, we look forward to having you again on soon, uh, especially uh, with hockey season being apparently right around the corner. And that Barry, my next favorite sport, which is watching baseball. <laughs> right. Oh, as they're saying up here in Boston today, uh, it's opening day tonight with the Red Sox. That's so, uh, right. now that the Bruins season's well. over. And Barry, you know, I think remember my great friend, Hugh Delano was a, uh, a writer at the New York post. Oh, sure. And, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, I know, I'm sure that you're following in his tradition. He was, a a, a a great friend of mine and uh, a, a fellow that uh, I always enjoyed spending some time with when I was in the Apple. Yeah, he was Huey's a great, uh, great gentleman, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's it's great to, as you say, kind of you know, carrying the torch in a way. So uh, we 
we uh, we always do our best to to do that. So that's nice that you mentioned him. And when I get down to New York, we'll have to get together because I'm still on my quest to find the best slice of pizza in New York. <laughs> I might be able to help you do that. There's no shortage of good uh, good pizza places in New York. Absolutely. Very good. Well, thanks for that, In the meantime, Paul, I think you could probably find some pretty good pizza in Providence today as well. That's right, up on the hill. <laughs> up on the hill, exactly. That's it, that's it. Well, thank you very much, fellas, and uh, best wishes to everybody, and I hope everyone enjoys the parade tomorrow. Well, thank you so much, Paul, and uh, it should be fun. Another parade in Boston, nothing like it. These are the, these are the good old days, as they say. Yeah. All right, and, and Barry, uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, and real quickly, we only have a minute till break, but... What did you think of uh, the Dallas Mavericks winning the NBA title? Well, that was another another great series. I mean, you know, both uh, both final series were, were were a real treat, and you know, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people. All right, I'll say it. Everybody outside of Miami was probably very happy with that result, and uh, you know, uh, I think that, I think the I think that LeBron and the uh, and the Heat kind of put a target on their back, you know, very early on in the process, as as we've discussed in the past. And, uh, you know, but it just, it, for, for whatever reason, it just didn't, didn't seem to work out for them. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, Dallas uh, rose to the occasion where the Heat couldn't. And, you know, you've got uh, you know, guys like Dirk Nowitzki and uh, Jason Kidd, Jason Terry, and now they're a member of the club, of the uh, NBA uh, title ring club. Although Mark Cuban says that they may not go with rings this year. He's going to try to come up with something a little different because he says rings are old. So, so we'll see what happens with that. But uh, congratulations to the Mavericks uh, for a great series. And uh, the Heat just has to kind of figure out, well, what, what do we do wrong and how are we going to fix this for next year? And I'm sure they're already uh, plotting how to do that. Well, I agree, and I can't wait to see what Mark Cuban comes up with on the jewelry front. And Barry, thanks again. Sure. Really appreciate you joining us again, and we'll look forward to talking again next week. And with that said, we'll now take our third segment break. The job of a Your professional athlete is never complete. Sports in Life After the Game, sports. host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show. 
Voice America, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And to continue on with uh, Bruins Talk, I have with us today a very special guest and longtime friend, Steve Zubricki from Methuen, Massachusetts, outside Boston. Steve, how are you doing today? Great, John. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to come on the show. Well, Steve, when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup for the first time in 39 years the other night, I can truly, truly say the first person I thought of is you. And I know you have quite a history with the uh, Boston Bruins, so why don't you share that with our listeners? Oh, certainly. Uh, I'd be happy to, John. Uh, well, I mean, I've been uh, pretty much grew up uh, as a fan watching the watching the team, and uh, back as as late as as long ago as the uh, the mid nineteen eighties, uh, had access to some some season tickets, and I still have those today. And uh, I've gone to many games and and uh, been along for the ride for a good part of the thirty nine years. Uh, so it's been a fantastic experience uh, to watch the team. You know. Uh, continue to, to hunt for the cup and finally do it. And what were you thinking uh, as the seconds wound down the other night? Uh, what were the what was going through your head when the Bruins uh, were were finally winning the Stanley Cup? Uh, you know, it was it was it was interesting. It, it was surreal in a sense that uh, it, it wasn't hitting me right away uh, because. So many times over the years, they've come so close. They've had so many good teams that they've actually, uh, you know, competed for the cup and, and and gotten within, you know, pretty close. And and, uh, and it was great. It was a great feeling. But what was even better was that uh, they were able to put that game away early. And uh, it was it was it was. Uh, I was just thinking, wow, I can't believe it. I knew they had done it. Uh, you know, about halfway through the third, I was pretty confident there was really not much of a chance of Vancouver getting back into it. And, uh, and that was just a fantastic feeling, uh, especially the way the series went, uh, knowing that uh, we had struggled, uh, even though we had played really well on their ice, we weren't able to win there. And uh, that was just uh, the best part of it, knowing that we had finally broken through. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of the series, Steve, uh, you had the good fortune to uh, have literally the toughest ticket in this town in many years in any sport, uh, and I know he went to some of the marquee games, uh, including games, a couple of Game 7s as well as Game 6 uh, against Vancouver this past uh, Monday. So tell us about what it was like to be at some of those games. Sure, sure. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and, and before I even uh, touch on those, I mean, I'll also say I was at that uh, Carolina game that we lost. When the air went out of the building a few years back, and, and it, it kind of brings me back to that team because that was uh, one of those times we were real close. Um, and and the, the, the Montreal Game 7 was phenomenal. Um, certainly going down two games to none against Montreal on our ice was, was uh, you know, that was a tough uh, position to be in, especially the way uh, they play us. And, and it, was, it was a little bit uh, uncomfortable. So being able to get to that game seven and see them come through and, and win the game uh, was phenomenal. And even better than that, uh, one of the things I've always said, and I'm sure I've told you this over the years, that if the Bruins win the cup, 
they really have to get through Montreal either somewhere in the series or for the Cup to, to really, uh, you know, for me, at least it meant more. So that was, uh, that was a big thing, to be able to go all the way and beat him in, on Game 7. Yes, and uh, that was the overtime winner by Nathan Horton. And uh, what was that moment like? That must have just been incredible. Game seven, overtime versus Montreal. Tim Thomas had made a spectacular save on point blank on Brian Gianta. And then uh, a few minutes later, Horton scored. So what was that moment like? I mean, that's about as good as it gets in in sports oh, yeah. and certainly in hockey. It was it was a phenomenal moment. I mean, the, the, the building, as you know, anybody that's ever been in the garden, uh, the fans are so loyal, and the, the sound and the noise, it was just deafening. Uh, you couldn't hear anything, uh, the cheering, and, and that lasted quite some time. You know, it's not like it's just a quick thing. It's, it's a good uh, number of minutes that everybody continues to, uh, to cheer on the fact that they were able to put that game away and move on. Uh, and, and everybody, you know, everybody was hoping for it, you know, after all the, the rough rides we've had. So uh, it was fantastic. It was just one of the best feelings uh, you could actually have in Petitia Day in a sports event. Yeah, and move on they did to, you know, a sweep of the Philadelphia Flyers to pay them back for last year's crushing defeat. And then it was on to another spectacular series, this one, of course, against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, a lot of ups and downs like the Vancouver series, but it ultimately ended with Friday night game seven in the garden. No, a game notable, if not unforgettable, in the fact that there were no penalties called. I, I never remember watching a game in my life where there were zero penalties called. Some people are calling it the perfect hockey game and a perfect game for the Bruins. Uh, what was that game like to attend? Oh, it was, it was great. Um, once again, um, not having any scoring until so late in the game, it was certainly an edge-of-the-seat game. I mean, uh, the building was, was excited, but everybody was at the edge of their seat knowing anything could happen. Um, from the moment that goal went in till the end of the game, you couldn't hear a thing. You couldn't hear a whistle on the ice. You couldn't hear the person next to you. It was that loud. And it sustained itself right to the end of the game. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable to be there at that game. Um, and, you know, just to, to, to know that they, they held on and, 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 and went to the cup finals. It was phenomenal. Um, great experience. Yeah, that was a milestone in and of itself in that, you know, they simply got to the cup finals. And if I remember correctly, Horton scored the game's only goal, Nathan Horton again, uh, with about seven or so minutes to go in that. Uh, so then we move into the finals, uh, you know, again, which is an achievement in and of itself, simply getting there. But, uh, you know, like any sports fans, once you get there, you got to win it. Uh, you want to win it, and you don't get these opportunities very often. So Bruins had their back to the wall. It was game six in the garden. There were no guarantees. And, you know, again, just going back, uh, Luanga, after the Bruins blew them out in games three and four in Boston, they went back to Vancouver. Luongo, or Lebrongo as some people are calling him, shuts him out, one nothing back in Vancouver on that Friday, the last Friday night, and then uh, back to Boston for Game Six. So again, no guarantees coming into that game. Uh, what what was that game like? Well, that game was unique for me uh, in that uh, this year I wasn't even in Boston. I was up in Maine, uh, about four hours north. And uh, I go remote fishing uh, every year, and we were up doing that. So uh, in order to watch that game, we had to drive about an hour 
to a small city called Rumford, Maine. And uh, we found a place where we went in and uh, and uh, experienced watching the game. And, and, and uh, oddly enough, plenty of Bruins fans up in Maine. It was fantastic. And uh, it was uh, exciting to watch. We had a great time, but it was disappointing. And uh, everybody knew that uh, losing game five, knowing we had to uh, come back to to uh, Vancouver to play, uh, I'm sorry, it was coming back to Boston at that point. But uh, it, we just knew that there, there was the hill was getting tougher to climb, having seen the Bruins play so well and not win was frustrating. Uh, I mean, Mike, personally, I felt I gave him the loss on game one. I thought that was that was okay. I, I think they kind of blew game two. And then uh, three and four were phenomenal. But then five was that momentum game where I thought hopefully they were going to go ahead and, and, and come back for six to win it all, and, and it didn't happen. So um, I, I did go to game six, which was uh, – Another edge of the seat game, even though they were able to, to to win, but everybody knew in the back of their mind that they had to go back to Vancouver. And the big question was, could we get that one win on the away team's ice to bring the cup home? <laughs> and they did. And they that's did. Well, that's how awesome it was. I know, and awesome is the only word. And uh, Steve, you know, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to. You know, bring us your perspective from someone who, who was at, you know, two Game 7s plus the penultimate Game 6, at least the penultimate game here in Boston. Uh, you know, thanks for putting us there. And I know it was something special for you and something special for us to hear it from you. So uh, thanks again. And, and Voice America listeners, we're drawing to the close of another show here. And as always, I like to end it with my pick of the weekend, which is... Uh, Finally moving away from hockey, and uh, it, clearly it's all about golf with the U.S. Open at Congressional. I attended a U.S. Open in the 1970s in Oakmont near Pittsburgh. Special memory all these years later, and uh, there's nothing like the U.S. Open Sunday being Father's Day. That's the day it always has the uh, final round, and should be some great golf, and see if Rory McIlroy can hold on from his blazing fast start and Steve happy Father's Day and look forward to uh, next hockey season it'll be right around the corner thanks John and same to you and it's my pleasure and, and I appreciate it thanks again all right and Voice America signing off for another week and talk to you next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern thanks again for tuning in to all around sports with your host John Inglesby be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.